The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So that was a little longer than usual. That was almost oh, about a 40 minutes. So if you think you can only sit for 20 minutes, you're wrong. <laughs> and uh, it'd be nice to check in, see what your thoughts are, your experience with the loving kindness practice. We've talked a lot about the breath practice and the body practice, body awareness practice, but it's really good to ask questions about that or share experiences about that. And then also about the open attention or the open awareness practice. And I think I mentioned last week, the reason I recommend that you do at least a couple minutes of that open awareness practice at the end is because it's very conducive uh, for your daily life practice. You know, as you're going about your day, it's going to be, I mean, you'll have moments of body awareness. Obviously, it's a really good anchor, you know, just to drop into the experience of the body. But there will be different objects you're going to be aware of as you're going about. You know, you'll be aware of walking for a moment, then aware of hearing, then aware of this, then aware of that. So that open attention with your eyes open at the end is a nice way to transition into mindfulness through your day. Right? So let's take a little time. And so we can all hear each other. We'll use this mic. I think I showed you last or a couple weeks ago, but point right at your mouth. And uh, we'll take maybe 15 or 20 minutes for questions. And then I'll say a little bit more about the loving kindness practice. But who'd like to share about what you've been learning or what's been challenging? Comments about our practice tonight? Yeah, please. All the way in the second row of the chairs. And if you want, you can say your name, too. Kathy. Um, during the metta practice, is this? Okay. I think so. All right. Thank you. <laughs> uh, during the metta practice, um, I heard the words protection, and I heard the words safety. And um, what, what, what came up for me instead was that felt more comfortable were different words, mm-hmm. uh, strength, resourcefulness, and resilience. And I, I don't know if that's consistent with metta practice. Oh, or yeah. yeah, it's really the metta, the loving kindness practice. Metta is just the word for friendliness or love, but it's not love in an attachment way. Um, so sometimes people use the word like universal love or basic goodness. But you can just use the Pali word, which is metta. M-E-T-T-A. You see that around a lot now. Um, There's a lot of room for creativity because the heart, we're not creating something. The heart, there is a basic friendliness. Like when you strip away, when you abandon aversion and irritation and frustration and all of this sort of surface, surface level emotions, you'll find a basic friendly warm, intimate, and like a heart that's willing to be intimate, willing to show up. And uh, so how you find your way back there is really individual, each person. So the kind of phrases or images, or like I mentioned in the guided meditation, some of you, silence is going to be better than using phrases. Others of you will find it easier to use phrases or images to kind of evoke or find your way back. But 
Either way, whether you use phrase, you use a traditional one, or you make up your own, or you don't use any, it's really a, an act of confidence or an act of faith. So that's the most important thing is, even if your faith is slim, we have, we have to begin with some faith or confidence that there is this potential, this goodness, this kindness, this basic love that's here already, that I don't have to kind of create or imitate. And that's the important thing. So when you use a phrase, whether it's the words that I've offered or you're coming up with your own, those words are coming out of that confidence that the heart's good. Yeah, thanks. Did, yeah. Did you want to say something? No? Okay, so let's pass it over here to Lisa. Thanks. I'm Lisa. Um, so I don't know if others are having this experience with metta. When I'm saying phrases for, say, a benefactor or myself, you know, I definitely get like almost like a photograph, a visual image of that person or the felt sense of my own body if it's for me. Um, but my question comes in around when you get to the point where you're doing metta for like all beings, seen and unseen, um, I feel like maybe there's part of my like shameless thinking mind <laughs> trying to sneak in because what I get are a whole series of different images, you know, and as I'm thinking through, you know, may all beings be safe and protected, for instance, you know, I'm thinking about specific examples of, you know, yeah. poaching or, you know, whatever. Um, and it just seems, I guess what I'm reacting to is just that it seems so noisy and dissonant from doing metaphrases for an individual, you know, where you can just kind of sit with the felt presence of that actual person or an, an image of their face. Yeah. So I don't know yeah, what good. you would say about that. But. Yeah. And this is a real central point to the practices, the practices of love. In Buddhism, there are four beautiful emotions that are talked about a lot. Uh, the English translation, the four divine abodes, so the, the beautiful sacred places to reside. And the Buddha, in a practical sense, considers these are the only four emotions you need. Basic friendliness or love or kindness, compassion. So when basic love uh, is sensitive to suffering, then we call it compassion. And when it's sensitive to joy and someone's success or something beautiful, we call it appreciative joy or empathetic joy or just joy or gladness. And then... When the situation is confusing or ambiguous, we call it equanimity. So equanimity is considered a beautiful quality of heart, like how to be intimate when things are ambiguous. Well, I have equanimity. You know, it's like, I don't know what's going on, and I'm okay with that. You know? And if compassion is, it's like, oh, there's, you know, you're, you're really hurting, or I'm really hurting, and I'm still willing to be close. I'm not afraid of being close, intimate. So... These four qualities. Now, the interesting thing, Lisa, is to remember that when you're using, like in the later traditions in Buddhism, they systematized everything, in part to make it easier to remember the teachings, including the different practices of loving kindness. 
But when you look at how the Buddha taught this reflection on kindness or this reflection on love, it's very simple and not too many specific, like, this is how you do it. It was really offered as a general theme. And it was really, like, I'll just give you an image because it's real for me, and you might just, my, through my own description and your own memory of your own similar-like experiences, you'll see this. But we have a newer cat. Our older cat of 19 years or 18 years died several months back. And then I was out at Common Grounds Retreat Property in May, and there was a starving cat from probably one of the local farms getting beat up by the other farm cats, our neighbors, and had fleas and ticks on it and starving. And, and so uh, my wife decided to take it in. And, you know, we got it neutered and spent over $1,000 <laughs> with the vet getting it back into shape. And now it's like really healthy and a very happy cat. And... Uh, we let our cat out all, almost all day long because we're both busy people. And then it's there at night and spends you know, the evening and, and the night inside. And it will like, when it lies, it's like, comp- like totally spread out. <laughs> and it's like just manifesting like non-fear and trust, right? Now, that image, when I bring that image to, the, to my mind, we might think, you know, I'm sending my loving feelings to that cat. But the reality is the love is right here. Not with those infinite beings you're bringing to mind or your benefactor or your dear one or whoever it might be. So the, the key is the images you bring to mind is a skillful means for feeling something here. And whatever visual representation can ignite or remind the heart of what, it's, what is true, what is available here. Just bring, use that image. And then, like, in terms of how we generally end, don't worry about, is it going out? It's like you're, what, what you're feeling here, that basic goodness of the heart here, what you're tuning into is its nature to expand. It has a radiant feel to it, like bubbling, expanding, almost like a warm light, and you're just gently moving the curtains away, and then that glow of that light, it not because I want it to go out, but it's its nature to kind of go out in all directions so that the people in the room can't help but be touched by our basic radiance of, yeah, I, may you all be happy. Whether there are words or mental images, doesn't matter because there is this expansive quality of the heart or mind. And so the, the key is to use words or mental images that remind the mind, remind the heart of this expansive quality. It is something we've all experienced. I don't, I don't believe there's a human being that hasn't had at least a moment or two of, now you might not remember it, but that doesn't mean you haven't experienced it in your life. And now that you've heard me say it like this, part of your homework this uh, last week of our course is to really notice the natural arising of that expansive quality of love, that inner goodness, and how it naturally wants to radiate out. So, you know, you might have, might have uh, arisen because you saw somebody doing something really nice to somebody who was hurting on the bus, right? And just that simple act of kindness just warms your heart 
But it, no, it's just in a more, more what it does is it reveals the heart was already warm. You might have forgotten it for days, but now you remember, oh yeah, this heart is capable of goodness, capable of including, capable. And then, because now you notice it, you'll notice that there's a glow for everyone on the bus. It's like you love everybody. You may not want to spend time with them, right? But you wish them well. Even the people who might cut you off if you're driving or you know, people who were not so kind to you the other day, but I wouldn't want to be that person that was insulting me. May you be safe, right? It would be better for all of us if you felt safe, if you felt happy and at ease in your life. You wouldn't be so mean. So may you be happy. Why? Is there anybody you don't want to be happy, like a particular politician? <laughs> well, you don't know who I'm thinking about, <laughs> right? So... Like, why wouldn't we want that person to be happy? Really at ease, right? Wouldn't that be for the best for everybody? Yeah. So there's no reason. I mean, love is such a functional thing. Kindness, goodness of the heart. is uh, Really, we want to live this way. And it doesn't make us the world's doormat, you know, somebody who gets taken advantage of. It's actually a very powerful force. You know, so much good, like speaking truth to power, uh, comes from the love, from compassion, not from hate. So that, just getting back to Lisa's important point, which is don't get confused by the instructions. And I was saying this to Mary, is that what you said your name was? Kathy. Uh, the, it's all, the instructions are all pragmatic, like just do what works, what works for you pragmatically in terms of reminding your own heart, oh yeah, there is something good here. There is something that has this nature to radiate, to include, to wish well, to yeah, to uh, care about. Yeah, other thoughts, both about the loving kindness practice, but anything else? Uh, right behind you, first, Lisa, and then we'll go back over here. Hi, I'm Allison. Um, I have a question about the breathing. Yeah. Um, I've noticed two different things. One, Maybe a little closer. I'll sure, about breathing. Um, I'm aware of uh, when I focus on the breathing, trying to consciously breathe slowly, being very conscious of it, going, you know, t- breathing my belly up and out, and and really focusing on that. And then another way is not to think about, okay, now I'm taking a deep breath, but just to let it go naturally, which is inevitably very shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, which of the two is uh, best for the continuity of awareness? Well, that's what I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it, it seems like when I'm, when I'm very conscious of, um, I, I'm kind of very conscious of the mechanics of it versus just letting it be. Um, that's the harder, but that's the way we go, the letting it be. Now, you don't get confused by that short little exercise we do at the beginning where we take a few deeper, longer breaths. That's just like, I mean, if you've had a really stressful day, that might last a couple minutes, but it's really just a handful of breaths. And it's just, it's like a transition time where you're doing long, deep, full breaths. It's like, I may have been completely disconnected from my body all day, 
or we're all weak. But now, as I breathe in slowly, deeply, in a relaxed way, I'm, I'm coming back. You know, I'm willing to feel what I feel. As I exhale, I'm willing to accept what it feels like. So we're just doing that a handful of times. And then it's really more just let the breath happen. Even if it's erratic, even if it's shallow, even if it feels controlled, as long as you're not intentionally controlling it. Now, sometimes if you've gotten really lost in thought for five or ten minutes and you come back, you may want to take one or two long deep breaths again, just again as a transition, like as if you're starting, well, you are, you're starting over again. So why not take a one deep breath or two or three deep breaths? But then natural breathing. Because real, the, the purity and the continuity of awareness depends on relaxation. And for a lot of us, teasing out unnecessary effort is a big part of what we're doing. We're, we're generally will, will over-effort. And then we get up, give up, and then we become complacent and just kind of you know, space out into la-la land or some trance-like state. And then we'll try really hard. But the sweet spot you know, where practice really develops and folds is when, the, here's the effort. The effort we make is remembering that it's like this now. So the effort in mindfulness, the continuity of mindfulness, is remembering to be aware of the present moment. See, that's not, doesn't take a lot of kind of, certainly doesn't take an effort that's tight. You know, you can just try now, like, just for 30 seconds, just remember it's like this now. So let's try that. That interesting, right? Did anybody experience fear during the 30 seconds? Yeah, it's very easy for fear, like, oh my God, because we're so unused to being in the present moment. You know, and we, you didn't have to do anything. It's like anything is fine. All you had to do was remember it's like this. Remember this is being known, right? But, it, but you saw probably that the, the more of the habit was to overdo it, like, I got to do something. Well, actually, no, you're already aware. It's like this. You don't have to do something, right? So to be aware of that uh, habit of like doing, 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 I need to do something. Give me something to do. So a lot of what we're doing is we're feeling the anxiety of that old deep habit of thinking I got to do my life. But you know, honey, it's pretty simple right now. You just have to remember that this is being known. So you can you just... Be at ease, <laughs> you know. But until it can be at ease, you know, the habit energy can be at ease, we have to notice that anxiety, that tightness. So the breath may feel controlled or it may feel like somebody's breathing down our neck, which would be, you know, the habit of the mind itself. But there's nothing we can do about that. We just, like, well, that's being known. You know, that tendency to over-effort or that 
forceful part of the mind, well, that's being known. That lurking part of the mind, that fearful, self-conscious part of the mind, oh yeah, well, that's being known too. Everything gets to be included. So yeah, uh, take a few deep breaths when you need to, at the beginning and any other time when you've been lost in thought for a while and need to begin again. But otherwise, it's so wonderful that the body knows how to breathe and that we get this opportunity to just trust. Well, the body's going to breathe. I'm pretty sure of it. And I'm just going to be aware of how it's breathing. Thank yeah, you. Thanks, Allison. I was doing it wrong. <laughs> what, was it? what did you say? I was doing it wrong, so thank you. <laughs> well, and you know, a lot of us get confused because many of you have done yoga classes, and there's a whole science of pranayama. It's called the science of breathing. And in a lot of the yogic breathing practices are controlled breathing, right? You know, where you're doing the three-part breathing. And that can be a very nice stress reduction technique. So, for example, if you're going to bed and you've got a lot of anxiety, you might do some of that very uh, controlled. But I don't mean controlled in a tight way, but I mean it's got a pattern to it. And, but then, after you do it for five or ten minutes, then just let it be natural breathing, right? And even while you're doing the controlled breathing, the breathing practice, do it in a really relaxed way still. Yeah, it's just a stress reduction technique that can be very powerful. In the 80s, you know, when I was doing a lot of yoga, besides meditation, I would have a separate sitting practice where I would do breathing practice for an hour a day at least, um, besides my meditation. And it was really powerful practice. So the, these yogic breathing practices are very useful, but it's not what we're doing. Right, because we're really um, supporting the mind going into a natural space. We're really getting back to a very natural, ordinary mind, and then we'll realize that most of the day our mind is not in an ordinary, natural state. It's in a neurotic state. So, natural and ordinary does not mean common. <laughs> so you can pass the mic over to here. Uh, my name is Anna. Uh, and I, uh, during the loving kindness practice, one thing that I, um, I, I had a feeling of gratefulness or gratitude, um, which is, I think it's related. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's quite right. There, it seems as though, um, it it's like a start. It's it's something like a an emotion that I can conjure up because it it's something that I it's a little bit more sort of I'm used to experiencing that um or I'm used to conjuring that gratefulness uh emotion but um it's But when seems... you're experiencing gratitude when you tune in to the gratitude isn't isn't wouldn't you describe it and feel it as a kind of basic goodness of your heart? Yeah, and it, so that's what was my question: yeah. is that is is that an, uh, a representative enough way of expressing loving kindness? Yeah, it's the beginning, right? Because we just all of us are going to have different doorways into that basic goodness of the heart, and then it's kind of like an ember sitting here, you know, at the core and the center here, and it doesn't matter how we get to that ember; we just got to find a way in, and then by holding it, keeping it in mind keeping the attention there in a kind and loving way. It's like blowing on the ember, and it just expands. That's its nature. But any way in to that basic goodness works. So even something that you wouldn't necessarily think, like gratitude or forgiveness or even patience, right, can, can be good. 
that good quality, a quality of the heart that you trust, that's pure. It's like not about me getting something, me getting revenge. It's not self, it doesn't involve a self-drama or a self-contraction. And the, another way to think about that basic goodness is like when we're in neurotic space, self-drama space, that's sort of, it's like about me. It's like this inner gravitational pull. But all of these qualities of basic goodness have a generous orientation. So it's like a, an upwelling and out, right? Appreciation is an up and gratitude and upwelling and out. Love and compassion and upwelling and out. Even equanimity, like I'm okay not knowing. I'm okay with things being unformed, uncertain, right? It's, it's like a, it's an inclusive quality of the heart, like everything belongs, yes to everything. So these are the, the general characteristics of that feeling, the expansiveness, the inclusivity of it, the embracing of everything. Nothing, it's like a, uh, nothing lies outside of that radiance of the heart. Yeah, thanks for sharing. We have a little bit more time. What else? Yeah, please, right behind you. My name is, my name is Brian, and I'm, I had a question about the times when the d- distractions arise. And sometimes I, I visualize, like you, you say, you're supposed to kind of recognize it and uh, you know, know how it feels. I sometimes find myself visualizing that I'm someplace doing that. Like I'm in a in a courtyard or something, and I'm saying, "Oh, there's my anxiety," and I know how it feels, and then I'm then I move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't create this; it just appears in my mind. Yeah, or I might be floating in space and kind of doing something. Is I guess my question is, is that okay? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's not a question of it's okay. What's What's really interesting is that you're noticing mental activity, right? And you're noticing a very deep habit of the mind, you know, the conceptualizing part of the mind is, for most of us, very much related to the spatial quality. That's why seeing is very much related to thinking. You know, as a species, I think probably it's safe to say that that, the two are tied together. So a lot of times when we're doing something, just it's like we've got a video, a videographer inside the mind, and it's it will make up a video of sort of a mental impression of what the mind is doing or what we think is happening. People even notice that, uh, like with breathing. I don't know if you do, but you know, you're you're just breathing in, you know, aware of breathing in, breathing out, aware of breathing out. But all of a sudden, you'll notice, you know, and your eyes are closed, and all of a sudden, you'll notice that what you're really aware of is the internal video, this mental representation. And sometimes it's abstract. And sometimes it sort of has an anatomical accuracy to it, but more often it's abstracted. And you think that's the breath, but then you realize, no, no, I'm just seeing something. I'm seeing some mental images is what's happening. Now, that's not neither good nor bad. You just want to be aware of it. And, and to distinguish the awareness of that mental activity or that distraction with the sort of structure the conceptualizing part of the mind has created right it's sort of like and it's as you can see it's a very support it can be at least a very supportive activity that conceptualizing 
mapping it out, you know, kind of creating a 3D representation of what's going on as you look at your knee pain or hear that sound or look at that mind state. And then part of the mind, because the mind is amazingly quick, right, how it can construct this visual inner space that sort of represents what's actually happening in real time. Isn't that amazing that it can do that? That's why it's so easy to be confused because the mind is so creative. The thinking, conceptualizing mind is very creative. So when you notice that, just acknowledge, oh, that's, that's just that you know, conceptualizing, meaning-making part of the mind and just distinguish that mental image from whatever you were noticing, right? Yeah. And don't be for it or against it. You don't need to get rid of it. It's just about not being confused by it. And it's nice that you notice that, 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 uh, that mental activity. Yeah, other thoughts? All the way in the back of the room here, in the green or turquoise vest. I'm interested in your thoughts about the relationship between mindfulness, compassion, and suffering when you have an image, um, you know, the loving kindness directed to someone, someone who may be in pain or suffering, and then because of your care for that person, you start to um, feel anxiety and pain yourself. And is that... Is that attachment because of your relationship or caring? Is that is that a good thing? Or is that getting into some of the drama that it's becoming more about your own reaction rather than the positivity towards someone else who may be in need? Well, let's ask you, like, uh, let's say you were, maybe you can even bring to mind, you don't have to share it with us, but a time when your life was really difficult or you had a lot of pain. And then, and, uh, then imagine a dear friend or a partner or somebody coming up to you and your suffering was a cause for them to suffer. Would you like that? Yeah. So, Compassion isn't, compassion is a beautiful quality of the heart, beautiful quality of the mind. But it's, it's, uh, can be confusing because that beautiful quality of the mind happens when the heart, when the mind is willing to be close to their own or somebody else's suffering. Because when the awareness is willing to meet my own suffering or the suffering of another, that awareness has to be really wise. It has to be liberated from being afraid because otherwise it's not going to be close. When I'm hurting or when I'm uh, like wanting to fix you because you've got cancer, you know, I'm helping, I'm showing up, but it's because I want this to be over with. I want you to get through this because your suffering is bothering me. I mean, we don't say that to the person, but sometimes that's our attitude. It's like, yeah, I'm here, I'm here for you, and we're going to beat this thing because I can't stand 
that you're suffering. Right? Now that's not compassion, that's being tight and averse and afraid or whatever. No, it's totally understandable why we would feel that way with a loved one who is suffering because we basically vibrate maybe where they are at, which is like, I don't want to be feeling what I'm feeling. I want this to be over. I'm afraid. But we don't want to, we want to model for them what they have to do for themselves, which is be intimate with the reality, do what you can do, but be intimate with the reality from a beautiful or loving, wholesome point of view. Not where that intimacy is a, uh, a liberated state, not a contracted state. So if we've, now remember with the compassion or any of the loving kindness practices, we start with some confidence in the basic goodness of the heart, and then we practice opening to more and more. So a friend might come to mind as, as that we allow that natural radiance and that natural expansiveness to happen, then we might remember, oh yeah, Sally, you know, she's this terrible, she's in the middle of a terrible divorce, you know, and it just comes to mind. There we are, we're sitting, we're doing it. And she comes to me, and then we go like, well, how do I, what do I do about this? Well, then we, you know, we just see, well, can I just at least begin by appreciating how much pain she must be in right now? Like, like, can the heart include, is the heart willing to include that? Right? So we're just including it. We're not afraid of being touched by the pain. But see, that's a beautiful thing, to not have to resist. And it's like, like I mean, there's so many things. It's even the messiness of the political scene that we're in, or racial injustice, or economic injustice, or a friend who's sick, to that pain, that sort of imperfection or the messiness of the world, can we let it in? There may be something we can or maybe there isn't right now anything to do about what we're letting in. But the thing is, we're not, it's coming in, but we're not grasping it, right? We're just feeling it. We keep feeling it, we keep feeling it, but we don't have to, like we don't have to resist it. It's almost like it's going right into the heart and it just keeps going. So the heart's being touched by the real suffering in the world, but it's not like storing it up in any way. And it feels like we're storing it up, like that we're carrying the burden, because we think just because we're feeling deeply, we have to hold it. We do want to feel deeply, but we don't have to hold anything. So it's almost like being transparent or porous or empty. So this, what we see in the world, what we experience with our friends, our loved ones, the wider world, it's like we're totally sensitive, we're open, we're feeling, but it's not landing anywhere. And I know that sounds paradoxical, but you've got to experiment with it, and then it won't seem paradoxical when you actually see how that is true. Now, I'll give you an example where you might have seen that in your life, and we'll have to end here. But some of you, maybe most of you, have been around people like on their deathbed. And if you haven't, I think it's, a, you know, it's really a place for a lot of learning in terms of what we've been doing these six, five weeks so far. But you'll see that, of course, some of the times when you're with someone who's dying, it's really hard. It's really, really hard. But there are other times that it will be surprisingly enlivening. 
and liberating and beautiful, even though the person might not want to die, be in a lot of pain, other people in the room might be really traumatized by the person's dying, but that's not your experience. You're feeling quite alive. And what you see moving in your heart and mind, quite beautiful and trustworthy and liberating. And it might initially feel like, well, this shouldn't be happening. You might even impose on yourself, I should practice as if I'm sad or as if this is heavy. But your heart doesn't feel heavy. It feels expanded and light and alive and free. Now, what's going on in those moments? Anybody recognize that experience? Those of you who've been around people who are dying or people in difficult places? So compassion is an enlivened, liberated, expansive state of mind. But it arises because we're not afraid to feel what we're feeling, to be touched, to be exposed to the messiness and the pain in the world. But we just have to, little places, like you're driving and you see a squirrel that's just been hit by a car, right? Now, if you can, just pull over, you know, and just observe, because your heart's going to want to crunch. Like, I've got to defend myself from the yucky visual and emotional feelings I have right now, right? Isn't that the, the habit? Like, I've got to get tight to handle. So something relatively small, maybe you just accidentally smush a, a spider on your window seal when you're dusting or something. And there it is, quivering. And instead of like wanting to quickly brush it up and put it in the garbage or vacuum it up, you just sit down and you watch because there's nothing you can do. You're not a spider doctor. And so you just sit there and you let your heart break a little bit, right? This is just like simple things. You let it in, like as if it might, you don't know yet, but as if it might be safe to just let it in. Just let it in, let it in, let it in. Or a bird hits your plate glass window, right? And then step, walk outside, stand next to the bird. And this will be easier then, and you'll be ready when your loved one dies or is in the dying And you'll see that to really show up and to not panic and not assume you should panic or get tight, but just to be there and to notice that it's quite enlivening to let your heart be exposed and touched by life as it actually is. Or you see a homeless person asking for money or somebody who's asking for money in the entrance ramp. Instead of sort of having your defensive whatever maneuver that you do, like to not look or whatever you do, just connect. It doesn't mean you need to give money, but just it's like there's a human being there. So acknowledge the human being, you know, wish them well or whatever you want to do. I'm not going to give you money, but I really wish you well. And uh, notice that the habit of the heart to want to get tight, and just say, but do I need to be tight? Is there danger here? Maybe I can let it in that some people don't, seem to be doing very well in life. So much so that they're willing to spend hours standing on a, at an entrance ramp to the freeway and ask for money. So what does that feel like to let that land, to be undefended, to include that? Can that be enlivening or is it dangerous and I need to leave it out? You see, so this is how we practice. And this is 
a great way to end tonight. Because to just encourage yourself to practice love in all the little and big ways, just wherever it kind of shows up. Because love, all the different expressions of love, it's all about connecting, all about being intimate, including, softening, being undefended. And you see, it's very, like you said at the beginning of your comment, it's very much connected to being aware. You can't really be mindfully aware without having developed love because it's like a basic ingredient of mindful awareness, this capacity to be intimate with what's ever showing up. So we have one more week. You may not want to come back, but come back anyway. Make it through the six weeks. Give yourself the time. Try to put in time every day. And print out, if you haven't, or read instructions or the uh, handout for week six, because it's all about practicing in daily life. And then the instructions for the loving-kindness practice that we did at the beginning, that's for week five. So if you get the um, handout for week five, it has pretty clear instructions. And uh, there's lots of instructions because, like I said, it's a creative effort. So you just find your own way and give it a little time. So maybe five to ten minutes at the beginning of your set and then just use the rest of the set any way you like to practice. And then at the very end, open your eyes and do that open awareness practice and then take it into your day. Okay? So if you have a few moments, the folding chairs go down and I'll see you next Tuesday. Have a good week of practice. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.